Welcome to Steel Stories by US Steel. In this podcast, we explore the wealth of knowledge from leading industry experts to help you navigate the infinitely developing, renewable world of steel. Well, welcome back to Steel Stories. I'm David Kirkpatrick, your host. Steel, we've learned, is the backbone of modern infrastructure and a lot of things in our society. It makes towering skyscrapers and precision-engineered vehicles, and it's really shaping our world. But what happens when this age-old industry meets the modern innovation of artificial intelligence? Well, that's what we're here to discuss today, so let's check it out. Our guest is an unusually articulate expert on AI named Matt Wilding who is a senior person in the financial area at US Steel. I'll ask him to tell us his title in a moment. But what we're going to talk about is what AI is, what it means for process industries like steel, and specifically how it's being used at US Steel. So welcome, Matt. Really great to have you today. Very happy to be here. So what is your exact title? So I am the Senior Director of Financial Data, Analytics, and Enterprise Performance Management, which is a mouthful. But essentially, I'm the person responsible to make sure that our work in digital analytics and AI is innovative, responsible, and adds value back into the organization. Well, what a great job and what an interesting thing. And you have a PhD in chemistry from Harvard and you worked at McKinsey for a while. So you are somebody who has a lot of really high level experience. It's very impressive that you work at US Steel. Quickly, so why do you work at US Steel? So I think there are a few threads to that. I'd start by saying my dad was a steel worker for 50 plus years. He was a welder and he used to tease me when I was a kid because of course you want to do everything your parents do. And I said, I wanted to do the same task. And he would tell me, no, you're really too small for that. I don't think you could even lift what you need to lift to get in the door. So I needed to find another way to get into the steel industry. But more seriously, I think folks assume because we're U.S. Steel and we're making steel that it's a very vanilla, boring commodity business, and it really is anything but. You know, U.S. Steel is one of the most innovative materials manufacturers out there, and we'll hopefully talk through it today, but the level of designer materials that we produce to solve challenges for our customers that no one else is able to solve in the material space is really what draws somebody with a, a former PhD in. That's a good explanation for why you're there. Well, let's go right to the matter at hand, artificial intelligence. It is so hard to understand. What do you consider it to be? It's a good question. I would say that artificial intelligence is any computer-based system that attempts to reproduce the problem-solving ability of humans, really. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that machine learning and learning is always involved in that? There's always an element of it. Uh, the question comes when the learning occurred. So machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence where once the system is live, it's interacting with environment and learning. But artificial intelligence could encompass things where we've pre-programmed the intelligence in. No learning occurs once the system goes live because we've already taught it everything it needed to know in the moment we turned it on. So in that case, the learning was done by the people that did the programming, in effect. Yes. <laughs> so... What does AI mean for the steel industry and U.S. steel? Artificial intelligence is, I think, most applicable to the steel industry because it's able to look through large volumes of data, large swaths of information to understand how the complex interplay between real world situations is giving you some sort of output. And if you think about how we're producing our steel, U.S. steel is actually mined, 
made and melted in the U.S., meaning that we have our own mining assets who are actually digging the ore out of the ground and producing the pellets. We are actually using our blast furnaces and EAF technology to create the steel, and then we're rolling it into something for our customers. EAF, electric arc furnaces. So there's two main ways of making steel, blast furnaces and EAF, just so listeners know that. And there are, yes. And you know, even in that statement that there are two completely opposing ways to make steel, and U.S. Steel actually participates in both of those supply chain pathways, you can imagine just the incredible amount of information that goes into the very last coil that we ship to our customer or the final product that goes out to them. Well, talk a little bit about specifically how you're using AI. And I know it spans everything from human resources to financial planning to actually things like inflating tires in giant trucks inside the mines. Maybe you'll discuss some of that now, but, and you also just announced a big partnership with Google, which is quite uh, pioneering and even historic. So maybe start by telling us what that is and some of the other ways you're actually using AI in the company now. So I'm very happy. I think I could not be more excited about the position that US Steel was taking at the forefront of generative AI adoption. And that's really manifest in a partnership that we've been engaging in for about the past two months now with Google Cloud to create the first generative AI applications that are applicable for the steel industry. And, you know, these pieces of technology are so new that we're co-building with Google. It takes the expertise on the application side from the Google team, and it takes U.S. Steel's expertise for knowing how to do a lot of the work that we're doing internally and how our data is complexly managed and processed to be able to put our heads together and come up with some really cool solutions. I want you to describe exactly what some of those solutions are, but we should have probably defined generative AI before we go down that path. So I know that is kind of what has put AI on the radar of almost every human who pays any attention to the news in the last year. But before we go into the specifics of what you're doing with Google, talk a little bit about what generative AI is as a subset of AI itself. Absolutely. So the increased buzz that we've seen around AI lately is really due to proliferation of large language models. So like chat GPT that you've mentioned, but also BARD or Bing AI. And although AI isn't uncommon in businesses, before that, it's most often used as a behind the scenes contributor. So it's our IT team who's helping to manage that. And then only very specific relevant information is kind of shared back with folks who are, who are sitting in the business. The benefit now to that generative AI is that it allows users to bridge the gap so they can speak to this artificial intelligence model in plain speech. And the barrier to engage then with the artificial intelligence model to get insight from it is very low. You know, the easier users can engage with your product, the more likely they are to try it. And that's absolutely been the case for generative AI. Okay, this is a little bit of a side question, but does that mean that even though AI takes innumerable forms, generative AI can be layered onto other uses of AI in order to make it easier for non-technology people to use a wide range of different types of AI? That's absolutely correct. So it's uh -huh. AI is not rare in businesses, I would say. So depending on who is your scorekeeper, folks will either say that 30 to 50% of businesses globally are using AI already in at least one area. But when you look at people who are using AI in more than one area, the number drops down to about 10% or even into the single digits. Because again, as we're mentioning, it's very difficult to interface with those systems. 
So exactly to your point, generative AI sitting on top of those models makes it so much easier to integrate them into a normal day-to-day business context. And this is the last contextual question, but what that really means, as I understand it, is that you can talk to a computer and the computer can talk back and you can iterate in order to fine-tune the question you have. And if almost you're talking to a person, even though it may be with text. So that allows anybody to say, well, no, I didn't mean that. I mean, and the computer generative AI system can understand that. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And it's actually brought a new term into Vogue, which is fun, which is called prompt engineering. So it's essentially how folks are describing the art form of speaking to these models in plain English to try to induce them to do what you want them to do. So how do you say, pretend to explain this to me like I'm a three-year-old, but I understand finance, but I've never seen steel before. So it's a kind of a fun little cultural zeitgeist that people wow. let's go back to your historic deal with google i know you're using generative ai in at least two extremely interesting and different parts of the company let's hear what they are uh, sure and so, so the parts of the company we're using could not be more different so there are typically two ways businesses will introduce ai into their workflows and one is going to be directly as an additive to the production process. So AI is directly adding value into your product at some point. And the second would be more focused on the supporting ancillary functions that your business does. So to your point, think finance, accounting, or human resources. So we picked one use case in each of those to target breadth of our initial solution. So very excited with the results. So I'll share that the first one is called MindMind. M-I-N-E-M-I-N-D. That's correct. Right. Good name. Good name. So we've got that solution was actually built for our mining team operating up in Minnesota. And so what this system is able to do is today we're operating these enormous, enormous pieces of equipment out at the mines. So if, you know, our listeners haven't ever been to a mining site before, I'd say to give you a sense of the size, you know, they are nine miles by two miles wide. The trucks that you're operating a grown man is smaller than the tire itself. I mean, just enormous piece of equipment and very difficult to maintain, right? So you can imagine if you decide to bring the wrong tool and you crawl up to the top of this piece of equipment, now you've got to go all the way back down to pick up the other tool. You've and maybe travel a few miles to do it and to exactly. back, you know, back to the warehouse or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's very difficult challenge for our folks to overcome. And now we've got a world-class team out there. And what we wanted to do is be able to help them get more efficient. And so we designed a generative AI model, which as you know, kind of you articulated earlier, lets our team speak to AI in, you know, just plain speech. How do I fix a tie rod? How do I repair a broken suspension on a particular piece of equipment? The AI not only will tell them how to do that in a summary, it'll pull up all of the source material, standard operating materials to tell them how to do it, what tools to take. And it'll assign actually a validity score to them so they can feel confident in in what they saw. And in addition to that, you've got these very complex diagrams. Again, I'm telling you, we've got these enormous pieces of equipment, incredible complexity in their wiring diagrams. Now our folks can pull them up right on an iPad as they're talking through it and begin to, you know, pinch, zoom in, see exactly what they need, make sure they've got the right tools for the right job without the need to, you know, flip through a thousand page technical manual. So that has been uh, really well received by folks up there. So, of course, the mining team was right in the front seat with us as we're building it. And even the maintenance technicians who were helping us, as soon as they saw the system even go live, it was a very ugly user interface. It was not very effective. 
But immediately you heard them saying things like, this is a game changer. This is, that completely alters how we're doing a lot of the work that we've got. And we were really happy to see that. Well, speaking of game changers, and, and before we get to the other example in the administrative side, this kind of thing, even for Google, is new, right? Very true. It is. And so we've got an incredible partnership with a team. It's essentially the Google Cloud team who's been helping us to co-generate these ideas. But I'll tell you, you know, I mentioned at the start of the call, it's my job to make sure the work we do is, you know, not only innovative and responsible, but it adds value to the organization. One of the big challenges that you've even got in these areas is it's difficult to size the prize because we think there's such incredible potential upside. Like if you think about the different ways you induce people to work, you know, now folks are less focused on, you know, I forgot this tool, so I have to go back and get it. Now you have your folks on the maintenance team thinking, what should I be doing with the next hour because I've saved some time? Let me go do some proactive maintenance. So, you know, the reason I digress there is to say that work with the Google team is so cutting edge for really both groups who are involved in it, that it's an all hands on deck approach. It's really been daily standups with, you saw those meetings, it's the coders at Google, the project managers, the developers sitting right alongside US Steel's maintenance technicians, IT folks, and financial resources every day. So from Google's perspective, they're sort of thinking of it as a template for how they could help other industries as well. But So you are really doing something fundamentally new by bringing Google Cloud people in to solve a problem with something like equipment maintenance in a mine. Of course, we can think of plenty of other analogous industrial situations. Right. Okay, so what's the other Google project? So the second piece of technology that we're looking at, the second use case we've generated is more focused on the business support side of the house. So those things that sort of help our teams sell the steel to our customers. And that is focused in the financial area. And so it's a system that we call Financial Analysis and Steel Trends Assistant, or FASTA for short, which we enjoy that naming convention because one of our big focuses is trying to get ourselves to the future, FASTA. And we've essentially loaded in proprietary strategic information about U.S. Steel, financial information, our earnings material, things that we might be saying on our strategic projects. And we essentially are putting those into a central AI system that then our teams can query as if it's a teammate. So right. our teams are able to talk to the AI and say, you know, FASTA, what are U.S. Steel's 2023 strategic projects? It's like a really good Alexa kind of. It really is, and specific to our personal information. So at the moment, it's only something that we would use for internal folks because we've got a lot of our kind of proprietary information there. But you can just, again, think about the power, not just for the financial systems. If you put all of the information that collectively your employees know about a company into a single system, Right. And not the power of solution that you would actually get when you can speak to it like a human. That's really cool. And the fact you actually call it an assistant is sort of reinforcing the idea. Yeah, you could talk to this like a person. And it's been incredibly useful for us, even you know, early on as we're working through it. The breakthrough, really, that you are discovering both in the physical manufacturing side of your business, the mining, and I'm sure many of those same kinds of system advances can be applied in glass furnace environments and electric arch furnace environments and warehouse maintenance and all these places. I mean, is that what you assume? Like this is the cut, the tip of an iceberg? Where do we see this going? Absolutely. We see this as being the start of something larger. So we're often asked the question, can we give an expectation now for what we expect generative AI or AI in general to be able to contribute? And 
it may seem like we're being evasive in answering that question, but the reason we don't is because every year our perspective grows. Every year we find new ways, new use cases, and new opportunities, and honestly, new technologies that didn't exist a year before in order to solve some of the challenges that really are longstanding, not just for the steel industry, but for manufacturing in general. So we look at this situation right now. You just announced this thing with Google recently. On the one hand, you're helping repair giant machines in the mine. And on the other hand, you're helping company executives understand the company's own financial history more exactly. And the implication then is there's almost no kind of process that this kind of optimization and improvement might not help. Is that fair to say? There, well, there are certainly limits to what it might be able to do, but most of those limits are, I'd say, practical limits based on what the particular requirements of that industry would be, rather than limitations on the technology itself. I'll give you a really quick example of that to say, if you imagine a, a retail client, you know, a hospitality client is developing AI solutions, it would be very straightforward to automate almost all aspects of what's going on in that retail business or, you know, at that hospitality area. Right. And sort of the worst case scenario that would happen is your AI would go down for a little bit, you'd resume doing things manually. It's very different when you're in the manufacturing industry and you're operating equipment that is pressurized, that is heated, and that's really very safety sensitive work. So in a lot of the systems that we've got and a lot of the solutions we've generated, we take a lot of care to ensure that the AI stays really at arm's length from the actual operational control that we've got there. So in that instance, our operators are such a critical component of implementing our digital strategy. And I'd say that's something that's differentiating for our industry maybe versus others is that you know our dependence on those really highly skilled operators only increases. So that really goes to another key topic I wanted to ask you about, which is, you know, how people feel about it and what implications it might have for jobs and employment. And is that something people at U.S. Steel or just in general in the world of industry ought to be concerned about, given your experience? That's a great question. And it's, you know, anytime a new technology emerges, there's always a, a certain level of fear associated with it. You know, what changes will this induce unintended that we might have to deal with? You know, it, if I told you the number of Terminator jokes that are made to me on a daily basis, you probably wouldn't be surprised probably what you'd expect. But the really critical thing to remember is that artificial intelligence is only as effective as it's designed to be. So if you have poor design, the AI will produce poor results. But if you've got world-class experts who know steelmaking, because for some of these folks, it's been in their family for years, those folks are actually our greatest strength in building and deploying the solutions to actually address the challenges we face in a practical way. So I think the main reason we've been successful internally is that we view our solutions as actually serving the operators. And that's a really important distinction for people to make when they're thinking about impl implementing this in their business. Because when you're bringing in these new pieces of technology, you have to demonstrate the level of respect you have for the hard work the team is putting in on a daily basis, because manufacturing isn't an easy job. We put a large emphasis on change management, ensuring that the solutions that we actually put in place don't miss a beat, you know, either in serving the safety, the quality, the productivity of our teams. So I think that strong partnership with the operating teams has really been critical internally for not having, you know, some of the more negative reactions you might expect. 
to a new technology. And in systems like these two that you've just deployed or just announced, will they themselves continue to evolve in, through the input of the employees, giving them even more exact, useful sort of fine-tuning information? They absolutely do. So we had a great example, actually, when we were about to prepare for our first demonstration on those two use cases, in my mind in particular. Mm -hmm. And the maintenance team said to us, well, we really want to ask it, how do I repair a dog bone? A so dog bone? A dog bone, which is part of a truck. Okay. And so they ask my mind how to repair a dog bone, and she responds, or he responds, very similar to you did. What's a dog bone? I have no information on that. I can't help you. And we had to learn that the language that the team was using was actually a colloquialism. It was just, you know, essentially a term that they used to describe the shape of a tie rod. And so in that instance, we actually were confronted with an example where the words that we're using to describe it are not present in the source material. And the AI was smart enough to tell us, hey, I don't have any record of this occurring. But what we're able to do is the team then can respond to mind mind and say, a dog bone is the same as a tie rod, is the same as whatever the piece of equipment is. Uh, if the maintenance team listens to this, they'll laugh at me for getting it wrong even after all this time. But essentially, you can teach the model the slang terms that we use, the ways we refer to certain materials, the way we solve problems, and the language model actually will learn and adapt in time with us. Wow. That's why generative AI is different, because it does that. Right. Well, what would you say were the biggest challenges you faced in implementing these two new systems? I think the biggest challenges you face are data readiness, prioritizing the right work to do, and then slow progress. I think those are the key things that, that we were up against. So You mean ex accepting that it's going to go slowly until you get it right? Until you get it right, exactly. So I think to that point, people don't necessarily realize just how much data is needed to power AI. When you're partnering with these firms and you're paying for them to bring a technology solution to you, a fair portion of that value they bring is the data itself. They have sat for hours, days, months, years training this system, giving it terabytes of information so that it can make effective choices. Right. And if you think about doing that as an internal customer, you know, you've got US Steel who's been operating for greater than 120 years. We've got greater than 120 years of data that not all of that is digitized. Some of it might be on microfiche. So oh. essentially one of the big challenges you face is data readiness. So a big focus of why you had to go slow in the beginning was You've got to make sure that as you're uncovering new data, you're pulling new information into the models, you're cleaning it and doing it in a permanent, sustainable way, right? You don't want to just pull in new information, use it, and then never save it for the next use case that comes down. So those, I think, were the biggest challenges was, you know, dealing with kind of the slowness that we faced as a result of data readiness requirements being so high to implement something with this heavy of a data requirement. Just a side question, you know, Google and U.S. Steel are partnering here together. I'm just asking myself, Google's motives. Okay, it was the Google Cloud part of Google that you were working with. So presumably, there's a huge amount of data that has to be stored and manipulated, which you will then do on Google's cloud services. Is that kind of the assumption here? I think that's a possibility for us. I don't know that we've actually selected which cloud partner we do, but I will say the topic you raise is very common, again, in manufacturing or really any industry, and it's called cloud migration. And the right. question is, where does your data sit and how will you get easy access to it? So certainly Google Cloud is an incredible partner for being able to do that, right? To lift your data out, 
put it on their servers, but to do it in a responsible and secure way. And that really is the most critical thing is, you know, you need to find a partner who is, you know, kind of helping you through that, who really prioritizes cybersecurity as you're going through it. That's why security and privacy are huge topics right now as AI is sort of spreading across society, but also probably why, you know, companies like Google and Microsoft and Amazon, IBM, a few others that really do this at scale are going to probably be better able to manage these security and privacy issues. I mean, US Steel really doesn't want to have to do that kind of thing itself, I would assume. So what you're describing is essentially your cybersecurity strategy. I mentioned kind of earlier when we were talking that one of the challenges the manufacturing industry faces is you may not want your AI or any models or any cloud-based system with direct access to influence your operations because you're operating things that are safety sensitive. And so our cyber team does an incredible job of deciding exactly how to structure ourselves so the right data moves into the cloud, the data that needs to be secure and stays secured in the physical really? location, wow. and what information needs to be locked down and accessible only in you know point A or point B right. stays that way in a secure manner. So it's a tough problem to solve, right? Because on one hand, you don't want anybody reaching in to the systems, but on the other hand, all of your customers, whether it's you know the the senior leadership team, whether it's your shareholders wanting you to be more efficient want you to share that information, aggregate it. So the cybersecurity team, the infrastructure teams don't have easy lifts here. And it's right. really critical components. In it also underscores why this takes time and how hard it is. I mean, Absolutely. but it doesn't sound like you believe those kinds of considerations will actually, in the macro, slow down the deployment of this. It's going to be possible to address those issues and continue applying AI very effectively in industrial contexts. The only situation I can imagine where it would slow things down is when you don't have a long-term strategy from day one and you make a mistake and you have a breach, you have a control issue, then you know you think about how much risk you've introduced to the organization. So no, I think as long as you have a very clear view of what you're trying to build and your teams understand the complexity of the privacy, cybersecurity infrastructure you need, I don't see that as being a reason for folks to shy away from implementing AI. One of the key themes of this podcast series is sustainability in the steel industry. And even though these are two extremely important innovations that you're applying AI in that you're just announcing, making steel itself is unfortunately a fairly emissions intensive process, which is extremely hard to remediate, even though the company's doing all kinds of things to work in that direction and making a lot of progress. But how will AI help there in the long term, in your opinion? It absolutely does. So I see sustainability and AI as actually being inextricably linked. So, you know, as you mentioned, being a hard to abate industry from an emissions perspective means that we've got to work smarter and think differently about problems if we want to have a different outcome. And that's exactly where AI excels for us. I'll give you two quick examples. So if you think about increasing the yield of your production process, so you lose less material along the way, that maximizes the amount of steel that you make per ton of raw material and for energy that you consume. And right. both of those actually reduce the net emission of CO2 equivalents. Right. So that'd be one example, but you can also think about you know, focusing on the efficiency gains of your steelmaking process 
And that would let you make high quality pig iron or other, you know, metallics with the lowest energy intensity possible. And, you know, those are really just scratching the surface of what should be possible. And, you know, even example for us, we've already built AI solutions that aren't generative AI, but are, you know, a different flavor of AI that directly influence operational behavior in order to ensure our commitment to sustainability is part of our everyday operating model. But again, even those pre-existing AI applications could possibly be improved with an overlay of generative AI and to make it easier for the operators and the managers and the technicians to keep things going the way they should. They should. And it makes it a lot easier to see and to understand what you're working through. So today, typically, if you think about an AI solution, I've got to get that information back in front of my customer, whoever it is. And I'm typically going to use a dashboard. Maybe I'll send out a report periodically. And that's really where generative AI excels. You know, rather than forcing somebody to be monitoring a static dashboard, having a system where you can ask a clear question and say, system, do you anticipate any errors coming up within the next half an hour based on what you're seeing operationally and to get a response in real time? And that sort of thing is going to become more and more routine, you'd say? I think it will. I think the solution that we choose is going to have to fit the you know level of difficulty of the problem we've got out there. So in some cases, a dashboard is going to be sufficient for us. But in other cases, it really will increase the user experience to have a large language model or generative AI sort of sitting at that interfacial layer to help, you know, either put information in or take information out of the systems we design. Okay, you're such an articulate and well-informed guy. I got to ask <laughs> a question that's more a big question, a little stepping back kind of question, you know, because I, as a journalist concerned about sustainability in working on this podcast and doing other kind of reporting, I often think and wonder whether or not AI in particular could play a big role in the world's overall climate response as we get better at it, because it can be applied in the kind of ways you're describing to essentially any system and make it more efficient. And if, you know, reducing emissions to some fundamental degree is all about efficiency, using the absolute least possible inputs in order to get what we need and therefore generate the fewest emissions. Is that something that you believe is really likely to happen? I absolutely think that's likely to happen. And I would argue that it's already happening. Mm. So again, you know, we've talked about generative AI as sort of the new buzz. It's, you know, the new kid on the block that's been here for less than a year, but it makes it so easy to access. But I assure you, AI solutions have actually been deployed. U.S. Steel's been deploying them for 15 years. I guarantee that they're being employed by governments, nonprofit institutes, and essentially global organizations focused on those same tasks. So I think AI has already helped us to define a lot of those problems, helped us to begin thinking through those problems. And I think the more powerful our systems become, I think the more power, powerful of solutions they're going to be able to generate. Well, this is a, a very particular interest to me because what I think that implies, and I hope it implies, is that we probably, we as humanity, probably will be able to solve some of these vexing problems connected to climate using technology maybe faster than most people currently realize. Do you believe that? I think that's very possible because application of AI solutions can only happen when the right problems have been identified. So I can give you a micro example, again, for US Steel to say, we actually started the year not knowing what solutions we wanted to deliver in AI. Mm -hmm. And so 
rather than having you know our IT team and finance team sit in a room and talk about where we might be able to impact the bottom line, we took a different approach. And we actually flew around to our different mills to meet with the folks on ground who were doing that work. And the mines and everything. And the mines, the mills. We essentially to say, tell us what's a challenge. Don't be constrained by AI. Don't be constrained by what you think we have. What are your problems you want to solve? Right. Yes. Tell us what's. They must have loved that you were asking. It's, you know, some of them were therapy sessions, you know, so. Hopefully, there were so many. It's a long list. Of <laughs> everybody in their work has a lot of problems they want to solve, no matter what they do. And any, yeah, we came away from that with over 150 prioritized projects specific to AI, digital, or analytics. 150 just from that single endeavor. When folks, to your point, haven't necessarily seen Gen AI, seen Gen AI running, they don't daily interface with those solutions. They just said. Hey, here's some problems. Here's some challenges that I'm facing. And so the reason I say that is matching the problem, finding the problem to solve is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And I argue that as the sort of general knowledge of AI, the power that it brings increases, you'll find increasing matches of, hey, here's a new problem that hasn't yet been solved this way. Let's give it a shot and see what we can do. There's so many implications of what you're doing to industry generally. And I know you're already talking to some other big companies because what you've done here with Google is pretty pioneering and maybe can't mention the name of the company, but I know this one big chemical company, for example, that was asking you, hey, could we get a little of this learning and figure out how to apply it ourselves? And what would you recommend? Is that kind of thing going to happen more, do you believe? Absolutely, it will. I think there's a very clear understanding, I'd say in all men, in all industry, but in manufacturing in particular, that challenges that we're solving are all very similar. We may be solving it for steel, a chemical manufacturer solving it for chemicals, resins and plastics, but it's the same type of challenges. How are you more efficient with the resources you have? How right. can you minimize your energy consumption? And so the particular partner that you're talking about, we actually have had incredible meeting discussing what are the possibilities that are out there? Where are they on their journey? Where are we on our journey? And do we see any commonalities, of course? And I think the entire team was surprised as we sat there to say, well, we have this niche problem. I'm sure you've never heard of it. And we'd list off the problem. The other team would be like, yep, we solved that one last week. All right, we can talk about that. And you know, wow. then the other team in reverse saying, well, we have this very specific thing. And we could say, hey, we have that too. So it's that commonality, I think, is going to be critical for folks to work really across industries, to work across, you know, even company lines to be able to develop these solutions and then share those solutions if we want to have a meaningful change on sustainability or climate impact. Really cool. I may have asked you this question in a slightly different form before, and if so, I apologize, but what's your dream scenario about how much AI could change US steel? So a dream scenario would be that I can program AI to be Matt Wilding and I still collect a paycheck and I don't have to do it. That's my dream. Okay. okay. Aside from that. <laughs> so aside from that, I think one of the really amazing parts about what we do, so we, we've been talking a lot about generative AI, but what we really haven't focused on is the reason that generative AI is so different, so unique is not just that it can communicate with people. It's doing that by understanding the subtlety of language. It can do that same thing for not speech. So if you think about some of the innovative 
custom design steels that we're putting together for our customers to solve some of the most rigorous challenges that are out there in the material space that no other material can solve, no other company can solve. Imagine having a generative AI bot that rather than speaking to you in English, spoke to you in chemistry. And you can tell this bot, hey, this customer is looking for very high strength steel. It must be lightweight. It must be able to tolerate XYZ conditions. And because you have, you know, U.S. Steel's intellectual property for 120 years, our expertise in designing these custom materials programmed into this bot, you're now able to do something, create, generate new solutions where none existed before that our innovation and research teams then will go try. Does it work? Is the bot giving us great solutions or is it doing probably what Matt would do in that scenario, panicking and giving a bad answer? <laughs> well, that really goes back to the question I asked you before about the world's pace of climate progress possibly accelerating because the implication is that's going to accelerate all kinds of efficiencies. But how far off is that kind of scenario, would you guess? I would say we are still quite a few years off of that. So if you think about the adoption curve of technology, you know, the iPhone debuted in 2007. Now, I don't think any of us could imagine not doing our day-to-day -day jobs with an iPhone or, you know, going to the store and you know, having a list of the things that you want to be brought with you. But I'd say if you think about really influential pieces of technology like Netflix, in order for them to get a million subscribers, a million users, took years. I believe Twitter took two years. ChatGPT got to that same level in five days. In the five days, a million people who had never heard of generative AI before flocked to this tool to try it out. And I think we are seeing that acceleration of technology on the generative AI front and how it comes into the public's awareness of it. But I think I would temper sort of my answer and say that work has still been happening on the back end for 10 to 15 years. Right. So still the folks who are, you know, engaged in some of the climate change problems, climate change consortiums are going to be having solved this problem or trying to solve this problem for 10 to 15 years, already leveraging the AI that's out there. So I'd say, I do think that that's a possibility for us, but I wouldn't overly index on that being two years away, three years away. I think we've got quite a good bit of time until we're able to deliver solutions of that magnitude. Well, something like having the AI able to do chemistry equations and putting <laughs> all the data that has been accumulated inside U.S. Steel's intellectual property archives regarding chemistry for 120 years, putting that all into digital form, that in, both of those things are challenges, right, in effect? It, well, they're incredible challenges. And the big difficulty you get is, you know, when you think about artificial intelligence needing to learn, is the same as people needing to learn. And so if you're going to have somebody solving those solutions for you, maybe you want a PhD chemist to do it. How many years does it take an individual to get to that level of expertise to have seen so many problems, so many different ways of solving it to be able to be productive and contributing? And I think that's one of the things that's critically important as we move forward is for folks to have reasonable pacing expectations for what this will look like. Okay, but just to push back slightly on that, given what you were saying about how you're already talking to companies like in the chemical industry, there's going to be pockets where advances happen faster, right? On something like the kind of thing we're talking about. So it is quite possible that either through commercial arrangements or consulting firms that get in the middle or just companies sharing information, people are going to start applying things that were discovered over here, over here. And that's already happening, of course, but 
that could be, I mean, I'm not trying to sound utopian here, but there could be a kind of mutually reinforcing collective advance that could start to happen, I hope, because our problems are so significant as a society. They're significant, they're shared, and they're similar, even when you go down into the individual level. So I think you'll see that it makes fiscal sense. I, of course, have to get my fiscal perspective in here as uh, a member of the finance team. It makes fiscal sense. It makes. I think the one thing that I'd love for folks to keep in mind is when you think about how different industries are able to adopt new technology or how folks are able to push new innovative boundaries forward, it's really important to understand the technological framework that they're sitting in. And essentially, the U.S. steelmaking sector, so primary metals and manufacturing, is operating on materials, on equipment that's on average 20 years old. So imagine 20 years ago, 2003, the iPhone hasn't come out, as I mentioned, the iPhone hasn't come out for four years yet. We didn't know that you could download apps. We didn't expect that you'd be able to design them on an iPad and work through things. So what I'd want to highlight for folks is, although there are incredible possibilities as we move forward, I want to even more highlight the hard work that those teams are doing in the background to deliver solutions that are cutting edge, that are putting forward, because many times we're operating at a disadvantage. We don't With an old infrastructure. With old infrastructure. In the country. I mean, leaving aside the company. I mean, it's really a national global problem. It, 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 our, it, infrastru- our physical infrastructure isn't really ready for some of the digital optimization that might be possible. That's sort of what you're saying. I could not have said that better. That's, that's yeah. incredibly true. And I think that's what's most important for folks to think about, right? As we're picking these solutions, we're choosing use cases to do really cool things. We have to remember to be doing those foundational infrastructure upgrades, whether that's to the equipment in a particular industry, whether to your points to you know bridges and other infrastructure that can't necessarily be digitized because of its age. So it's really critical to remember that if you're not doing those foundational fundamental investments in that infrastructure, you're not going to be able to deliver the same results that you want to get out of AI. So we thought it might be fun to challenge Matt to show us how powerful generative artificial intelligence can be today. So Matt, what did you do and how did it go? Yeah, so always up for a challenge. So we prompted ChatGPT with the topic of our podcast and we asked it to generate a back and forth dialogue for you and I. So we then trained a generative voice AI tool using only the audio that we recorded together for this episode, and we had it bring the dialogue to life in our own voices. So AI generated the script, and AI generated the voices. Okay, well, let's give it a listen. So Matt, we're talking AI and steel. Should we start worrying about a Terminator situation, where steel mill robots decide they're the ones running the show? Rest assured, David, steel mill robots are more interested in making steel coils than world domination. The real revolution is how AI is enhancing efficiency and precision. Think more optimized operations than robo-uprising. Well, you know, I don't think that sounded that much like me, but it was pretty impressive if you think that AI created both the text and the sound of our voices. It did, and only from the small dialogue that already existed in our podcast. So we didn't have to record anything new or different. So probably not good enough to fool the people close to you, but might be good enough to fool folks who don't know you very well. Yeah, probably. Um, Now, all that was done with tools that are, 
you know, routinely used inside U.S. Steel, right? That's correct. So uh, I will say that uh, generative AI is not one of our core technology offerings, right. but the same technology that is behind essentially generative voice AI is the same technology behind a lot of the other generative AI work that we do today, whether images or text or, or dialogue. Well, the thing about AI, <laughs> it's good that we just spent a good amount of time discussing it. It's going to be a bigger and bigger topic in all of our lives in the steel industry and elsewhere. So, wow. Well, thank you, Matt. That was a fantastic session. And especially thanks for doing a little extra computer work to make it <laughs> a little bit more nifty. Absolutely. Steel Stories is brought to you by US Steel. To find out more about our sustainable steel solutions and how our best for all strategy allows us to re-envision the future alongside our customers, visit www.ussteel.com. Search for US Steel in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss a future episode. On behalf of the team here at US Steel, thanks for listening. Yeah.